It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the program. Thank you very much for listening. I do appreciate it. Thank you for subscribing. If you haven't already, it's very easy. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com, click subscribe, and uh, that's it. And then the program comes every day to your smartphone or tablet. Also, thank you very much to the patrons who help make the show possible. Richard, Bill, Robin, uh, Andy, John, Billy, Lou, Grant. Ashley, Sarah and Barry, Patrick and Shan. Uh, if they became patrons, you can as well just by going to thepetecalendarshow.com. You click on the link that's at the top there and uh, you become a patron. Then you get exclusive content like our live streams. We're doing one tonight. So looking forward to that. Um, tomorrow is actually the deadline that Nicole Hannah-Jones has given the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill's Board of Trustees to give her a lifetime appointment uh, at a gig of $180,000 a year, or she's going to sue him. <laughs> this is, I, I am so, yeah, like I, there are so many different angles to this story. And I recognize, by the way, that as I get into this topic today, that for the vast majority of people, they do do not care about uh, journalism, journalism school. <laughs> they don't care about the inner workings of uh, how people get tenure and all of this stuff. They, it, it doesn't matter to them. And I get that. Uh, I would submit, though, that this is, um, this is a pretty good window into a couple of different important areas in our culture. And this moment sort of exposes that, like pulls the uh, pulls the curtains apart or raises the shades, if you will, or opens the blinds, whatever. Um, so uh, because you've got people who are uh, vested in an outcome now and they are exerting influence and pressure in ways that they say are appropriate while uh, saying that the ways that their opponents are exerting pressure, uh, those are inappropriate. So they're they're hypocrites to some degree, um, but it also gets at a core um, disagreement, a different philosophy when it comes to uh, gathering and reporting on news. So uh, that's why I think this is an important story. It also touches on critical race theory and the the movement, the shift in our culture, interviewing everything through the prism of race, which is, in my estimation, a uh, a pathway towards destruction uh this goes back to you know this goes back thousands of years i mean jesus was you know running around telling people hey you know judge each other not by your differences you are all brothers and sisters right we are all sons of god uh, daughters of god like that's the important thing you're dividing yourselves up by all of these different superficial categories, whether it's you're from this area, you're from that area, you look you look this way, you look that way. Don't do that anymore because you're all equal in the eyes of the Lord. And so like this is a very ancient kind of concept uh, and this fight has been going on uh, since humans have been around. 
right? Uh, there's a reason why when people talk about these types of conflicts, they discuss them in terms of tribalism, because like you literally trace humans back to when we were like running around in tribes and we were uh, looking at other tribes as the enemy because they were the outsiders. They were not from our tribe, our clan. So all of these things I think are at play in this debate, which I think makes it interesting. And I do agree with my guest, Rick Henderson, who we're going to talk with in a couple of minutes, that I don't think anybody comes out of this looking particularly good. Okay, just <laughs> this whole situation. A lot of people don't look very good. So uh, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Nicole Hannah Jones is considering legal action against UNC Chapel Hill and its board of trustees, according to a letter obtained by the News and Observer. The NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund, uh, Levy Ratner PC, the lawyers, and Ferguson Chambers and Sumter lawyers are representing Hannah Jones. Quote, we are evaluating all available legal recourse to fully vindicate Ms. Hannah Jones's rights, including possibly initiating a federal action against UNC, the board, and or affiliated entities and individuals. So, uh, this is going to mean that if she doesn't get tenure at 180k a year for life, if she doesn't get this, then uh, she's going to uh, force taxpayers to fund her uh, defense of UNC in this litigation effort. Because that's the, I mean, that really is what it's about. It's about trying to get tax money. <laughs> to be uh to be ripped from the taxpayers from the university system to you know what they're what she's doing obviously is trying to assert leverage right they're trying to pressure unc into giving her this plum position for the rest of her life and she's about my age i think mid 40s or so uh she's set she is going to be set $180,000 a year. And from what I understand, it's basically a part-time gig because you still do your other job too, working for the New York Times and, you know, uh, writing fabulous history. So um, with the 1619 Project. So uh, like the, she's going to be, she is going to be set for life with this. And remember, the UNC uh, system did not give her tenure. They gave her a five-year contract with tenure to be reviewed and then decided upon at some point within the five years. And that was not acceptable. Even though she signed it, she she took that deal. <laughs> she did take the deal. Um, and now I guess she's going to threaten litigation. She's going to threaten uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees, maybe millions, who knows how long it goes, uh, because she's not getting uh, the tenure right out of the gate like other people have in the past. And so the letter was sent to North Carolina lawmakers as well, saying that it is their legal duty to maintain, you know, preserve, don't destroy any and all documents and data, both electronic and hard copies relevant to the potential claims. Why lawmakers? Well, the Blue Anon folks are out there fomenting uh, rumors that, oh, it must have been the General Assembly leaders, you know, because they're Republicans. And so we know they don't want to teach real history. And by real history, we mean the, the commentary made up kind that the project, uh, 1619 project uh, engaged in that she actually won a Pulitzer for, even though it was not true. Stuff she said in there was not true. She still won a Pulitzer, which like my view of the Pulitzer Prize now, I don't care. And I don't think people outside of journalism really understand this anymore. It's kind of like the Nobel Prize, uh, the Peace Prize specifically. Most people on the right 
don't give a flying flip about those prizes anymore because you guys corrupted them so badly in awarding them to like it goes back to Barack Obama. They gave him the Nobel Peace Prize when he had won the election and that was it. He hadn't done anything. He did nothing. He then, of course, proceeded to, you know, drone strike American citizens overseas and all sorts of people and blow up stuff and kill people like that. That was the Nobel Peace Prize winner. But see, that's the problem. Like you give these and there were other people they gave the awards to. I remember going through and looking at the roster of who has gotten the Nobel, the Nobel Peace Prize and thinking this is just a complete bastardization of the award. So I don't care. Most people on the right don't care about Nobel Peace Prize winners. They don't care. They, just like they don't care about the Time Magazine Person of the Year awards, right? Because these have become uh, performative uh, ceremonies, basically, for the left to award itself and pay tribute to itself. So, no, we don't care. We, I don't care about this chairmanship or the uh, this chair position, this uh, whether the, the night professorship or whatever it's called that she's getting. I don't care. It's being funded by private money. So I don't care. It's not tax money. She's, you know, mad that she's not going to get a lifetime appointment, which is a completely bizarre idea to anybody working in the private sector. Like, well, she has to be able to, you know, say controversial things and not risk getting fired. Oh, OK, well, that's a unique place in society, don't you think? I bet a lot of other people would like to be able to say controversial things and not have to suffer any repercussions for it. Isn't that interesting how some people do suffer repercussions for exploring controversial topics, but other people don't. They get protected. So, yeah, like this. The, the ivory tower mentality is on full display, which is also another uh, it's another aspect to this story that I find to be kind of insightful and comical uh, that there are people that are like super duper outraged, like, oh, my God, I can't believe she's not going to get a lifetime appointment for one hundred eighty thousand dollars a year. It's like, uh, yeah, I don't think anybody is owed that. <laughs> so, uh, again, maybe I'm the wrong shoulder to cry on for this kind of stuff. I totally understand that. Uh, I totally understand also that you do not want to go out and have to buy a brand new tool, especially if you got to do like a big project, like you got to move a bunch of dirt around the yard, like you want to flatten an area or redo the driveway or something, but uh, you do not want to buy an earth mover. That's crazy. You're only going to use it once. So rent it. Rented from General Equipment Rental. They are conveniently located in Weaverville. They're at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. And they are family-owned and operated. They are experts in Honda and Husqvarna equipment, power tools and stuff. So if you're looking to buy some yard equipment, they are your source for that too. They know all of the models, all the series, the changes that get made, which tools are right for which jobs, and importantly, how big of a piece of property are you looking to maintain? right? If you've got seven acres or something, your needs are going to be different than somebody with, you know, less than a quarter of an acre, for example. So uh, head on over to General Equipment Rental. Tell them you heard it here on the podcast. I appreciate that. And uh, get the equipment that you need for the job. So this way you get the job done quickly and correctly. Do it right the first time. Go to General Equipment Rental, their website, generalrents.com. Remember, 10% off your first rental, generalrents.com, and think outside your toolbox. So The Assembly, which is an online publication, is pretty new. They have a piece uh, written by John Drescher the other day called Nicole Hannah-Jones, A Mega Donor and the Future of Journalism. And uh, they've got a hold of some emails uh, between Walter Hussman Jr., 
who made a $25 million commitment to the UNC Chapel Hill School of Journalism. $25 million. This was back in 2019. But all of the money has not been uh, given, has not been uh, donated yet. It's a pledge. And so some of the money is you know, coming in, I guess, annually. I don't know how those things work. But um, it was a $25 million commitment. His name goes up on the school. They put a statement of his journalistic principles on the entryway wall because he's the publisher of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. And he's a big believer in, you know, impartiality, objectivity. Um, He says that uh, you should do this, you know, without personal opinion or bias and that ethos that he passionately believes in, he says, uh, or the article says, should be taught to a rising generation of journalists. Some at UNC Chapel Hill say that passion has led him to cross a line. Last summer, Hussman learned of the university's interest in hiring Nicole Hannah-Jones, a Pulitzer Prize-winning essayist, former News and Observer reporter, and current New York Times reporter, best known for her work on the 1619 Project. Earlier this month, NC Policy Watch broke the news that Hannah Jones, who is black, had not been offered tenure by UNC Chapel Hill as part of her hiring as the prestigious Knight Chair in Race and Investigative Journalism. Previous Knight Chairs, who also did not have doctoral degrees, were offered tenure at Carolina. The report quickly became national news, in part as a proxy war around questions of systemic racism and cancel culture. Yeah, um, not that's just not that's not it. I mean, yes, it was part of those uh, discussions, uh, these questions, this culture war that is surrounding those things. Yes, that is part of it. Uh, It's also journalism and uh, academia. Like, that's why a lot of people on the right are watching this. And honestly, most people on the right really don't care. (laughs) As I mentioned earlier, a lot of people on the right do not care. They look at this as like, just you guys go ahead and fight. Because to many folks on the right, the UNC system and the School of Journalism is already lost. It's already lost, which, by the way, uh, different philosophies here, like should Hussman, who is conservative, should he have put the money into UNC or should he have funded uh, a, uh, a school of journalism someplace else? Right. Different tactic, I, you know, strategy, if you will. Uh, do you try to kind of get at this uh uh, the the teaching of the journalism in a school that has a good reputation for it already, but has gone astray? Uh, or do you try to just say, you know what, abandon that, the ship's already sinking, let's go ahead and fund, you know, the creation of a different school somewhere else and make that one a prestigious entity? That's a longer, uh, that's a longer project, obviously. Anyway, um, Hannah Jones has been widely supported at UNC and across academia since the news went public, because of course she is. I mean, of course she is. These uh, academia is filled with leftists and she is one. And so they're all on board. So this that I mean, that's of course they're going to support her. They all want her to get tenure because it's a uh, it reflects better on them. Right. They they then say, well, I work at UNC Chapel Hill. Well, we just gave Nicole Hannah Jones a, a tenured position. Look at us. We are not racists. But long before the debate entered the public arena, opposition to her appointment had been quietly growing, led in part by Hussman himself. He had doubts about whether having her on the faculty would distract from teaching the school's core values, according to emails and four university sources who spoke on the condition of anonymity. He relayed his concerns to the university's top leaders, including at least one member of the board of trustees. 
The assembly obtained copies of emails in which Hussman expressed his concerns about Hannah Jones to David Routh, uh, Vice Chancellor for University Development, so the fundraising guy, Susan King, the Dean of the Hussman School of Journalism, uh, and Chancellor Kevin Gusewicz. I don't know how, I think Guskowitz, Gusewicz? I think I'm pronouncing that right. Anyway, um, so one of the one of these four people are obviously the source of the leak to John Drescher at the assembly. Um, He said, Hussman said in the email, I worry about the controversy of tying the UNC Journalism School to the 1619 project. I find myself more in agreement with Pulitzer Prize winning historians like James McPherson and Gordon Wood than I do Nicole Hannah-Jones. These historians appear to me to be pushing to find the true historical facts based on her own words. Many will conclude she's trying to push an agenda, and they will assume she's manipulating historical facts to support it, which she did, by the way. Um, If asked about it, I will have to be honest in saying I agree with the historians. Uh, And then Drescher points out, while some historians have criticized Hannah Jones's essay that introduced the 1619 Project, which gave her the Pulitzer, by the way, um, other historians have supported it. So in other words, well, we don't know. know. Some are for it and some are against it. Right. But the ones who were supportive of it, they're like, oh, it's just, you know, it's it's good to reexamine things in a different way. There is no doubt that the historical claims that she makes are not true. Right. That Like the, the premise that the true founding of America was 1619, that is erroneous. The um, also the uh, the idea that the uh, Revolutionary War was fought uh, to preserve slavery is erroneous is that is not true and she asserts it as true so and then by the way they go back and stealth edited uh her essay after the fact after the criticism and then she denied ever making some of these claims it's i mean these are serious concerns okay i've gone over this before in the past these are serious concerns about her as a candidate to be teaching young journalism students about how to uh how to uh perform the craft Okay, so Hussman, by the way, this story that uh, John Drescher writes at the assembly does not uh, uh, explain how Hussman comes to know that Nicole Hannah Jones is being considered for this position. Well, there's a story in the left wing NC Policy Watch site by former reporter for the uh, Greensboro News and Record, uh, Joe Killian, which is interesting how many of these uh, reporters for quote-unquote mainstream media outlets like News and Observer, WRAL, whatever, like they go to work for uh, NC Policy Watch. They go to work for these leftist think tank blogs. I just point that out. I'm sure there's nothing at all to read into that. But the piece by Joe Killian that was published today at NC Policy Watch, he actually got Hussman to do an interview. And Hussman says that it was actually Susan King, the dean of the School of Journalism, called him as a courtesy to let him know that they were trying to get Nicole Hannah-Jones to agree to teach. And that's when he became aware. He then looked into her and said, oh, I've got concerns about what kind of journalism she's going to be teaching. He relayed those concerns and he says he flat out denies in this piece by Joe Killian, flat out denies that he had been trying to or uh, in any way tried to influence their decision uh, by threatening to withhold money because he said point blank. They asked him, is this going to um, jeopardize your donation? And he said, no, flat out, no. 
so he like that actually came up and he told them, I'm not going to, you know, withhold my campaign or my uh, contribution rather uh, to the school. Now, I do find it kind of comical uh, that a lot of these professors like, I can't believe that somebody who made all of these donations, $25 million is going to try to influence the way we do things here. <laughs> right? uh, I'm sure you're going to be shocked to find out there's gambling occurring <laughs> in the back room. Are you kidding? Like, isn't that the whole point of the massive donations to the school? gets the kids into college. Like, these are the same people, by the way, the same folks who uh, would say that, oh, well, you know, these rich Republican families make these donations to the schools, like uh, the Bush family or whatever. That's how they get in there. They made all these donations, right? And now you're going to be, like, claiming ignorance about how that works? Of course, this stuff, this is how it's always been going on. You're a credentialing organization now. Like, one of the things that really came uh, became clear in the... Uh, uh, in the pandemic, right, when Harvard, for example, among other schools, that when they were saying, we're still going to charge you, you know, $70,000 a year or whatever it is, we're still going to charge you that, but it's all going to be all remote learning. <laughs> so, okay. So uh, what you're saying is you're just a credentialing outfit, right? You're the, you're the gatekeepers into the elite society, quote unquote, which would explain why a lot of people uh, uh, are objecting to, um, you know, race neutral uh, colorblind, if you will, admissions processes where you have Asian students that if they were actually admitted based on grades, Asian students would make up like 60% of the student body of Harvard. And you get a lot of these progressives that are like, we can't have that. Like, really? Why? Well, it's just, it'd be too much of one race. <laughs> okay. So do you make those similar claims like about, oh, I don't know, professional sports or something? <laughs> do you, oh, it only works one way when it's against Asians trying to enroll at Harvard. Anyway, I'm, I'm off topic. I'm far afield. I understand that. Uh, I also understand that if you are in the market for some real U.S. military surplus, you got a lot of options and um, they're all over the place, but I would recommend you go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde on Main Street. Uh, he's been there for 30 years. It was it's Tim's shop now. His dad started the business decades ago. So they you know they're an institution in Clyde. And so you can walk on into the store Monday through Saturday. You can go to the website any old time at oldgrouch.com. They've got tons of real U.S. military surplus, high quality stuff because it's American made. First aid kits camp stoves, backpacks, all sorts of gear for all kinds of weather and uh, environments. So uh, go check them out. Tell them you heard it here on the show. I appreciate that. Oldgrouch.com. Joining me now is Rick Henderson. He writes at deregulator.net. You can get his newsletter there, deregulator.net. He's been a writer and an editor uh, for more than 30 years in the industry and uh, much of those years in North Carolina, many of them in North Carolina. And uh, we welcome him back to the show. Rick, how are you? I'm doing great, Pete. How are you today? I am all right. I still am trying to break myself of referring to myself in the we form. It's just it was always what I did as a <laughs> with I had a producer in studio, and so you just naturally say we. But now it's I'm trying. So I welcome you to the show. Um, so uh, you wrote a piece uh, in your newsletter, uh, your your Substack, and how is that going? By the way, I should ask because the last time we uh, had you on, you had just launched. It's going well. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm getting a lot of. Uh, of very very favorable feedback from it and some uh, some uh, some nice uh, shares here and there and uh encourage uh, everyone to 
to uh, check it out because for one thing you can get a lot of stuff for free so that's always <laughs> that's right. nice. that is always good that's why i give mine away for free people like free um yes so deregulator.net it's a sub stack and so you can subscribe you can make contributions and you can get uh, additional content like that and um and if you were like uh, my first year, uh, it was just proof of concept. Like, let's see what works and see what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And you're testing different things. And so it's kind of exciting, actually, to get in early on the ground floor of operations like that and see how they grow. So uh, best of luck for you uh, in that uh, as well. So let's talk about your latest piece. This was free, open to anybody. They could see no winners in UNC NHJ battle uh, at Nicole Hannah-Jones. Um, and so as it stands... so. Um, this is going so we are a day away from i guess where uh hannah jones's legal team has told chapel hill that they have to offer her tenure (laughs) or uh they're going to get slapped with a lawsuit which i don't know much about academia and the way that world operates but it's like like i don't think it's a great idea to threaten your new employer with a lawsuit before you start but maybe that's just me what's your what's your read on that well, it's certainly going to be a harmonious relationship from day one. <laughs> you can tell that. Uh, yeah, that the threat. Well, for one thing, if, if indeed they are planning on hold, uh, going through with their threat, they're going to uh, slap uh, UNC with a lawsuit because the tenure committee is not going to meet again anytime soon. So that there's no emergency meeting scheduled for for Friday for that to happen. So that's so if that's the plan, uh, then it's going to go forward. Uh, the the issue. A complicating issue with this particular situation with Nicole Hannah-Jones, among many of the other uh, concerns, is that in the journalism school, typically you have what are called professors of practice. You have people who who haven't been lifelong academics, and so they don't have uh, this record of publication in uh, in, in peer-reviewed journals that you would have in, in other sorts of academic environments. So basically you take someone who is a career journalist or someone who's, who's written for, uh, you know, done for a number of years, uh, written books or, or worked in newspapers or magazines, and you offer them a tenure track or a tenured, not tenure track, tenured position, because you want to make sure that that person is, is essentially free not to not worry about what happens if they're involved in some controversies while they're on campus that could affect their ability to earn a living uh, if they decided to leave or whatever. And so, you know, they, they, uh, they, you, you typically do that. In this particular case, uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones is, is, is a lightning rod. She's a controversial figure. She was the editor of the 1619 Project, originally in the New York Times. And the uh, the person after whom the journalism school is named, Walter Hussman, the the uh, publisher of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, uh, a UNC alum, uh, has uh, did some back channel work when she when he learned that she was going to be considered for tenure, and uh, this sort of mucked up the works because uh, you had the situation in which uh, members of the UNC uh, board of trustees asked questions about Nicole Hannah-Jones' qualifications for the job. She doesn't behave particularly well to criticism, doesn't respond well to it on social media. And everybody's throwing their arms out now figuring out how this turns out well. And I don't think it turns out well at all. <laughs> so an optimist. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you, and 
explain a little bit. You, you mentioned kind of a little bit about the tenure uh, component. Why do you, I mean, are you are you of the belief that tenure is necessary? Because I know some people say there shouldn't be any tenure. Um, but I, 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 I guess I'll just leave it there. Like, do, do you think this is a necessary thing for a professor to get? I don't think it's necessary for a professor to get, but the issue with, uh, with in this situation was that the particular program that she was uh, going to be funded by, she was going, it was going to be an endowed position, so mm-hmm. it wasn't going to come from university funds. Every professor who has held this particular position before now has had tenure from the get-go. So she's the first person who's being treated differently in this regard. And so, again, that's another little complicating factor. Yeah. Uh, she was never offered tenure to begin with. What happened was uh, the, the uh, people who were involved in, in interviewing potential candidates started talking to her last fall. Uh, Mr. Hussman found out about it. He started asking questions and using back channels, didn't directly challenge it. And then uh, when it came time for uh, for Ms. Hannah Jones and several other persons who were eligible for tenure for, from other departments to have that presented to the tenure committee, uh, the board just didn't vote on her case at all. They just didn't do anything. And so the school then decided, OK, we can put you on a five year contract because the board doesn't have to approve that. And uh, if you get, you know, if, if they decide to approve tenure sometime during that five year period, then you got tenure. Right. It, it, it was but it was just a bizarre situation from the get go. And, and it doesn't reflect well on anybody. And I'm not a big fan of Ms. Hannah Jones work generally. Uh, and she's apparently going to try to treat North Carolina taxpayers pretty badly with a lawsuit. But still, it was a situation that was just a, a just a total uh, bit of chaos from the from the beginning. And the people involved in actually recruiting her from, to begin with should have known this was going to be a problem, and they did. They were clu- so clueless they didn't even realize it. Yeah, you had a great quote. I thought that you had pulled from uh, – where did you get this from? The Chronicle of Higher Education, and the quote mm-hmm. was from – um, I don't know how to pronounce this person's name. Car- Carpentier? Francesca? Carpentier. Carpentier, I believe it is. Carpentier, Francesca Dillman Carpentier, uh, committee chairwoman, uh, said that, quote, we didn't see her as this controversial figure. (laughs) Wow. Like, and you and you but you just said, like, uh, Nicole Hannah Jones is being treated differently than all of these other people that have been uh, tenured before her. But she is different. Right. Because of the controversy, I couldn't name another reporter that's been named to these types of positions. So doesn't that make her unique in and of itself? Yeah, it, it makes her it makes her an entirely uh, different uh, candidate for a job like this. Generally speaking, if you look at, at a resume, you say, OK, this uh, she's in her mid 40s. She's won a Pulitzer Prize. She's gotten the MacArthur Genius Grant. She's been uh, working. Uh, at, she she's been working for the New York Times in a very senior position for a number of years. And wow, we can get her on our faculty. It's almost as if you look at the you look at the resume and you don't look at the person. Mm-hmm. You don't look at the body of work. And I part of that may have been what happened. But also, there's the name Nicole Hannah Jones. She's really she's been in the headlines all the time. And mm-hmm. you think. Is that for a good reason or for a bad reason? <laughs> is that something that uh, our university is going to be happy to have her on the faculty, or is she going to be a source of controversy? And that the faculty members 
who are not all journalists, by the way, this particular committee, this is the general faculty tenure committee, the fact that they didn't realize that this would be a potential public relations problem uh, just shows you, uh, as I said, they need some diversity of thought within yeah. their own committee. <laughs> well, yeah, the fish doesn't know it's wet. They they just see yes. any controversy as, you know, unwarranted, unfair, probably, you know, all those right wingers and racists and stuff when actually, no, there were serious credentialed people even of the left who have questioned uh the particularly the commentary uh essay that she won the pulitzer for so right. uh, yeah and, and then you mentioned the way she handles criticism it's not exactly has not exactly been uh stellar work uh on that front either um but it does raise this interesting question i want to get into with you next um about journalism and uh how people approach it my guest is rick henderson he is the writer and editor for more than 30 years but now he's the writer over at deregulator.net it's his Substack. you can subscribe head on over to deregulator.net. Now, if you are looking to uh, head to a new home, then you need to head to this website, mountainhomehunt.com, or uh, pick up a phone and call my friend Rowena Patton, 828-333-4483. She and her all-star powerhouse team, they're fantastic. They outsell 99% of the realtors in the state. She's the only agent that we called when Christy and I were looking to buy our house, so we're closing on it in a couple of weeks, and uh, we're very excited about it. But if you're looking to buy a home. She's got homes in all price points. If you're looking to sell, she has buyers lined up. So uh, give her a call. Tell her that you heard it here on the podcast. Again, the number is 828-333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com. And once you give her a call, start packing. So Rick, you uh, you mentioned that Hussman, Walter Hussman, who's uh, uh, he donated like all of this more. I guess he's slated to donate. He hasn't delivered all the money yet. So this raises some questions about is he using the the pledge without the delivery of the money as leverage in order to, you know, uh, affect personnel decisions. But Hussman, you say, is old school and Hannah Jones is not. And this raises, I think, really the the the, the core fundamental question that to its credit, UNC does do panel discussions and they examine this question about how reporters, how journalists are supposed to um, engage with their work, right? What is, what are the guiding principles for a journalist? So uh, I don't know, flesh that out. What's your, what's your philosophy, the way you approach journalism? You know, you were longtime editor and, and whatnot. What was your approach? Well, I actually think that, uh, that Mr. Husband's principles, generally speaking, are sound ones and that are, that those are, if you're reporting the news, uh, you go wherever the story takes you. You don't try to go in with an agenda beforehand that you you say uh, the fact that you're choosing to pursue a story, unless you're writing about a fire or, a, or a, you know, an auto accident or something like that. It, the fact that you're choosing the story means that you've made some sort of editorial judgment that you think it's worth covering. However, you shouldn't try to ignore or twist the facts to satisfy your agenda. So you go in saying, I think there's an issue here with this housing program. And I've heard some story, you know, I've heard reports that there's some maybe corruption in the program. So you look and you see where it takes you and then you report what you find and you, you are as fair as you possibly can be to all the parties involved. And if you, and Nicole Hannah Jones herself has said, I strive for fairness. Mm-hmm. Now, she is also a person who does come into it with her own uh, set of, of beliefs and her own uh, personal history and the like. And she does not try 
to put that in the background. And I think that's the big difference between uh, Mr. Husband's attitude about it and Ms. Hannah Jones' attitude about it. Is it basically, Mr. Husband says, you got to sort of bury all those preconceived notions and just go where the story takes you. She says the preconceived notions that I may have, my history informs the way I report. And it's two completely different ways of doing things. It's a, her version is a mixture of commentary and opinion with fact-finding and reporting. And that's where more and more narrative journalism is going these days. And so it's it's in conflict with some longstanding journalism principles that date back all of about 30 years. <laughs> you know, <laughs> basically before, well, 50 years, I'll say, before the Vietnam War, pretty much the concept in journalism was very, very partisan. You know, I mean, Joseph Pulitzer himself was the one of the great uh, adherents to yellow journalism. Mm -hmm. So so we're we lived in a period uh, for maybe a close to half a century in which there was this ideal of being fair, of being impartial, of just calling balls and strikes. It was a very unusual period in the history of journalism. And we're going back towards something that is closer to the way things were always done. And it has caused problems, generational problems. Now, the question is, how do we handle this without uh, having a total revolt of the readers, the writers, the people who are paying the bills and the like? And that's what I don't know how that turns yeah. out. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting also that Walter Hussman is the publisher of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. You know, there's, mm -hmm. a, there's a reason why those political party names ended up in newspaper names. Right? Sure. Because, well, right, to, to your point, right? They were they were seen to, as yep. organs of the political party. Yeah, the Watauga Democrats, yeah. alive and well, right? So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's indeed what happened, is that they were indeed organs of political parties or they were organs of specific, uh, of specific groups that uh, or, or institutions. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, it's interesting because on... The philosophy, I kind of lean more towards Nicole Hannah-Jones. I don't subscribe to her philosophy on journalism, but I lean more towards this idea that we all approach journalism with our own set of biases. You mentioned one of them is in the story selection itself. I mean, like the fundamental first question is, is this news, right? right. We are shaped right. by our experiences, and that does include like our race and our gender and where we, where we grew up and what time we grew up there. And all of these things affect those decisions, which I think kind of circles back to your uh, your uh, statement earlier where that the the board that was looking at Hannah Jones that they need more diversity of thought you know it, you can have a bunch of people that look different but if they come from similar uh, backgrounds their experiences have been similar then you're not going to get that diversity of thought to help you inform those decisions of story selection and how coverage uh, looks in your publication Sure, that's right. That's always a concern that you have in any newsroom is, uh, do, do, you know, what what are the backgrounds of the reporters you're hiring? Did they all go to elite schools? Yeah. Did they all go to state schools? Did they come right out of high school and start reporting, you know, doing sports reporting and then move right up there to the newsroom and the city council and the like? Where did they come from? What did they learn and what's their background? It's all very important. Yeah. Well, and you made a mention, I thought this was kind of funny that you said, uh, disclosure, your degree is from UNC Chapel Hill, but it's in political science and you've never taken a journalism course, which <laughs> which is probably for the best. But um, but like that, but that stuff matters. Uh, and I, I mean, I was a mass comm major in college. Uh -huh. uh, uh -huh. I did not go to Chapel Hill. I went to Winthrop University and um, and uh, my minor was political science. But I also had enough credits for a minor in philosophy. And I thought right. like that 
prepares me in a completely different way than somebody who's, you know, studying different courses uh, in preparation for joining the exact same industry. One of the great ironies is that the uh, the school, the journalism school at Chapel Hill, the, Hus- the now the Husman School, was considered by Al Newharth, the founder of USA Today, the former head of Gannett Newspapers, to be the best journalism school, undergraduate journalism school in the country. He said this about 20 years ago because the J School at Chapel Hill doesn't just teach practice of journalism, how to write leads, how to, you know, how, how to handle AP style. It actually expects its students to get some sort of uh, specialization in a normal academic field like mm. math or like political science or like history or something like that. But to know something more about how to structure a story, know something more than that when you get your degree. And so it's it's funny now that uh, that the, the, the school at Chapel Hill is such a is such a hotbed of controversy. <laughs> That's right. Um, before I, I let you go, the governor did a press conference um, and they had an, uh, sort of a uh, an update, quote unquote, on uh, the covid restrictions. And I thought we both watched it separately, but we were both watching it. And so I wanted to just kind of pick your brain about that real quick. Um, specifically, this the, the question that came up uh, almost as often as are we going to get a vaccine lottery? Um, the question <laughs> of uh, whether or not kids are going to have to wear masks, particularly when fall rolls around and the the uh, the department. Department of Health and Human Services Secretary Mandy Cohen, she's been saying and said repeatedly that, uh, look, the CDC says if you're not vaccinated, got to wear the mask when you're inside. And because kids can't get the vaccine, they've got to wear masks. Is that a tenable long term position, do you think? It's quite a catch 22, isn't it? Uh, it's and it's not really a tenable position at all. We will be I'll be fascinated to see what happens in August when kids are going back to school and if kids say in the K-5 grades are expected to be masked and no one else is. I just don't think it's going to work. I don't think it's tenable. And I would be very surprised also to see the CDC continue to keep that sort of guidance in place once schools start. Now, they've been known to to uh, turn on a dime when the polling numbers went bad on something. <laughs> and uh, I would not be surprised if it doesn't happen again, because unless uh, the FDA approves uh, vaccinations for kids, say, as young as five, then we're going to have an awful lot of kids who aren't vaccinated going back to school in the fall. And, uh, I, you know, it just doesn't seem to me it's going to be tenable to say that, especially if you're in, a, especially if you're in, let's say, a school that is a K-12 school. And you've got a third of the kids who have to be masked all the time and two thirds not. It's just not going to be a workable situation. And you can almost guarantee that nobody's going to wear a mask. Well, and also kids who have now just spent an entire summer maskless and yes. now you're going to send them back. They're not going to want to go back. They're going to they're going to fight that. And the parents yep. are going to fight it, too, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's not going to be a situation that's going to be that's going to be a. Uh, can be upheld at all it's going to be something that's not going to stand and i would be extremely surprised if by august 15th we're still hearing that there's a mask mandate for young children in schools i just don't think it's something that's workable and i don't think it's something that's necessarily going to be anything that's going to to prevent uh, the spread of the disease at all yeah well and kids haven't been carriers um, uh, to a large extent right they yeah they're very low risk it, it's I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't understand it. <laughs> so, I, I don't either. And I just almost wonder if, if some, that they will do something along the lines of unvaccinated kids can get antibody tests. And if they, you know, if they show that that, that, that there's a presence of antibodies, if there's no presence of the of COVID-19, that they can go ahead and go maskless. There may be something along those lines 
that's done as a workaround just to just to uh, uh, cover your posterior move to make yeah. that work. But, but we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, but the teachers are vaccinated. So what are why are they afraid? Like, I. Yeah. 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 I, the, if, there these it's a puzzlement isn't it <laughs> <laughs> it really is uh well hey i appreciate you taking some time and hanging out with me rick henderson uh you can read his work at deregulator.net subscribe to his uh his substack newsletter are they called newsletters i keep calling it a newsletter is that what it's called it's, it's close enough because i don't do a podcast so it's all so it's, if i if i ha- i call it a multimedia web empire but i can't do that either because so, it's not <laughs> not yet truth in advertising <laughs> that's right well not yet not yet you're getting there one step at a time uh thanks so much rick i appreciate it good to talk with you again same here pete thank you so much all right let me read an email that i got from a longtime listener named ken he said pete my wife had been bothering me for months about needing a new bed so i gave in with one stipulation we had to go to mattress man because of all the support that he has shown for you on the show uh so we had figured this was going to take all day we got to the store at like 11 a.m but we were done before noon I was excited to see that Chuck was going to assist us. He asked what we like, and then off we went. And uh, he says, I left the house planning on spending at least three grand on the mattress alone. We ended up selecting a Biltmore mattress. And when he told me the price, I had to make him repeat it. And then he told me that the Memorial Day special includes a free adjustable base. And I literally did not believe him. And I was just waiting for there to be some catch. But there wasn't one. It never came. We got everything we wanted for half of what I had anticipated. And I was knowledgeable about pricing because I'd been looking online for a week to get an idea of what to expect. And the best part, he says, I was sure it was going to be a long time, a long wait, because nobody has anything in stock nowadays, it seems. But Chuck said... It's going to be here next week when we requested it with free delivery. We were so blown away with Mattress Man. He says, I went ahead and bought my daughter a new mattress, too. I wanted to support the local business. And besides, you know, we had this extra cash (laughs) from all the money that we had saved. Uh, I'm sorry this is such a long email, he says, but I needed a lot of words to express how happy I am about your sponsor. I can guarantee that had it not been for you. We would never have thought of them, so thank you. And uh, no, I thank you, Ken, and I thank Chuck. This is what it's all about. You support the businesses that support the show, and uh, everybody wins, including your daughter. (laughs) So remember, the Memorial Day sale uh, going on. Still, you can score a free box spring with the purchase of a Biltmore Collection mattress at Mattressman. Mattressmanstores.com. Buy local and sleep better. All right, so back to the Nicole Hannah-Jones story. This is from the NC Policy Watch article. They quote an anonymous trustee at the school who is critical of Walter Hussman's uh, position that he's not going to publicly comment on this stuff, even though now it's all you know come to light that he had sent some emails once he found out that it was uh, Hannah Jones that was getting this uh, position. And by the way, he did not seek this information. Apparently, the dean of the college called him up and said, hey, we're pursuing her. He then looked into Nicole Hannah Jones, wrote a couple of emails, and he's like, look, I'm, I'm not trying to pressure anybody. I'm not withholding any of my $25 million donation, right? Don't get the wrong idea i'm just registering my opinion about this which like honestly if you didn't want his opinion why did you reach out to him in the first place could it be because he's committed 25 million dollars to the school of journalism and with that donation there are certain unspoken benefits that you get like you get to be included in some of these discussions but now we're all supposed to pretend like oh i can't believe it Right, because politics is never at work 
in any of these decisions. Ideology is never at play in any of these decisions. This is how the left approaches these debates. It's that, you know, they don't see their own ideology at play or having any impact here. But when here comes Hussman with his $25 million donation, well, he's a conservative. And so, therefore, he's trying to influence all of this, which the other story I'm going to get to here was the rumor that was going around that the state lawmakers, you know, Phil Berger and Tim Moore, the Speaker of the House and Senate President Pro Tem, that they had, you know, gotten involved and that they were pressuring the Board of Trustees to withhold tenure on all of this. It's just a complete fabrication, just rumors. But um, they chased them down. The media chased them down. So here's this idea uh, from this anonymous trustee. Like, oh, if you, if you think you can say whatever you want to whoever you want, as long as people don't find out about it, you shouldn't be lecturing people about ethics and integrity, says the anonymous trustee <laughs> to the leftist blog. <laughs> right. So wait a minute. So you're saying that speaking on background giving people your opinion about things off the record in private confidentially like that is that is uh at odds with ethical behavior he says i can't say the things i'd like to publicly about this because i'm told it would jeopardize a personnel process maybe even lead to a lawsuit but a rich donor can find out this information make arguments to people at the highest level about the fitness of people we employ call other donors and talk about it and as long as he doesn't do it publicly he thinks that's okay yeah he does he's giving his opinion which i would uh, again i would surmise was solicited in some way if not explicitly implicitly when the call was made to tell this person hey by the way we're looking to hire somebody to this school that has your name on it, and they have a fundamental philosophical difference in the way they approach journalism than you do. I don't know, because the dean isn't talking about it. Nobody's talking because now the threat of litigation has forced everybody to to clam up. Um, there was this uh, oh, there was this other line real quick. This was from the uh, story at the assembly by John Drescher. It closes with the previously unreported pushback by one of the UNC Chapel Hill's biggest donors underscores issues about donor influence at the university, which is increasingly reliant on major gifts in light of mandated tuition freezes and minimal legislative funding increases. So it's because academia is underfunded. Like, this is the argument now. Like, well, it's just, you know, we had to take this $25 million donation from this you know right-wing conservative publisher in arkansas like we had to take this money because higher education is so underfunded (laughs) right think about that like what kind of place do you have to get to in your mind to think that colleges are underfunded in america it's it really is remarkable so then there was this um this rumor that uh, Phil Berger, the Senate president pro tem, or the Speaker of the House, uh, Tim Moore, that they had somehow exerted influence over this process because they didn't like uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones. And this is funny because uh, I, I always enjoy seeing the Blue Anon hashtag get used. Blue Anon, which is, um, which is, this is the leftist version of conspiracy theories like QAnon on the right, right? There were these people who think this, QAnon is a real thing, and there are people on the left who have all sorts of conspiracy theories too, but they're mainstream. These things are treated as not crazy crackpot ideas, and this is another one. And so when this idea started circulating, the first thing that happened, there was a statement put out uh, by Phil Berger's office 
um, said, quote, the legislature has no role in the faculty hiring decisions at UNC system schools or the terms by which faculty are hired. A short walk around the UNC Chapel Hill campus should convince anybody that the Republican-led legislature does not decide who teachers are. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, who teaches there? Uh, Who teaches there? Right. It is a a liberal hotbed. People call it the People's Republic of Chapel Hill for a reason. Again, like this fight you guys are having, this struggle session you're going through, like this is all about you guys. This is your institution, your left-wing institution, right? You're gobbling up all of this money. You're taking money from a publisher uh, who happens to be conservative, which again, like that raises questions in my mind about why you would be donating to Chapel Hill's journalism school. What are you trying to actually do? But this idea like, oh, we're going to take this money, but we don't anticipate you having any impact whatsoever on any of the decisions that are made at the school. Thank you for the money, though. (laughs) Okay. Um, The statement goes on to say, we are tempted to calculate the cost of wasting three minutes of time multiplied by 170 legislators in reviewing a letter that has no basis in fact, reality, or legal doctrine, and then send an invoice to the law firm responsible. This was their response to the question about whether or not they had uh, improperly influenced these decisions as p- and to preserve all records for a potential lawsuit that we're supposed to find out, I guess, tomorrow, whether that's going to move forward. And they're saying, you're being ridiculous, we have nothing to give you, and UNC is filled with lefties. And uh, Brent Woodcox, an attorney that works for the legislature in the Senate, uh, he says, yeah, it's QAnon, but for the mainstream media. And then the News and Observer reporter who was digging into the story, Lucille Sherman, she says, well, which part? Berger's statement or that the legislature appoints Board of Governors members? And Woodcock says, your unfounded evidence-less conspiracy theory. And she says, and which one was that? And then he says, you can't gaslight me because I'm not an idiot. Your motives and your implications are obvious. And then she replies, well, I'm actually unsure of what I said. That's a conspiracy theory or incorrect. If you could point to what that is, that'd be great so I can correct my reporting in the future. And he says, I'm not willing to pretend to be obtuse just because you're willing to do so. So, And he's right. She's pretending like she doesn't know what she just implied, which is, well, the legislature appoints these people. And so they may have, you know, made a decision based on something or some influence. And, you know, I'm just asking questions. And there's no evidence to support that. Apparently, it just came from Hussman himself. That's the fight. That's a wrap for the episode. I appreciate you listening. Thanks so much. And uh, remember, subscribe at thepetecalendarshow.com. I'll talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.